Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Verses number 22 through 25. Amen. I pray that the Lord will just help us in Jesus' name. I'll ask you to stand one more time and and we'll read a few verses here. And and, uh, I will not belabor any issues this morning, but I do feel like that we could glean something from this passage if you'll help me. The book of Exodus chapter 20 and verse 22. There are some very specific instructions, so I'm going to kind of slow down at those points so we can underline them. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. What a tremendous thing that is. You you know that I am speaking to man from heaven. And then verse 23 is somewhat instructional. He says, Ye shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall you make unto you gods of gold the altar of earth thou shalt make unto me and shalt sacrifice thereon the burnt offerings and thy peace offerings thy sheep and thine oxen in all places where I record my name I will come unto thee and I will bless thee and then here again a little bit more instruction in verse 25 and if thou wilt make me an altar of stone Thou shalt not build it of hewn stone. For if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. Amen. And so I want to just, with the help of the Lord today, I want to speak from this subject, the God of the altar. The God of the altar. And I, I hope that will make sense. If the Lord will help me. It'll make a little more sense in just a few moments. Lord, I love you today, and I thank you for the privilege you've given all of us to be here today. Thank you for the opportunity you've given me to be able to speak your word, and I pray that that word will find a resting place in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated in the fear of the Lord. Amen. What was it, Brother uh, Jackson said? You can be seated if you want to or something like that. And uh, and uh, implying you might want to just keep standing and, and uh, as energetic as he, as he was, I, I almost feel like I'm on a pause button today. <laughs> Amen. I hope you don't feel that way, but nevertheless, these passages of scriptures that I read to you here, maybe a couple above and a, and a few beneath, but these passages of scripture are, are generally noted in most Bibles as the laws of the altars, the laws of the altars. Now, that, that notation may or may not be in your particular Bible, but, uh, but it may be because um, 
that is how a lot of these scriptures are noted. And in fact, that is what the subject of these verses deal with. The law, the laws, plural, of the altars, plural. And uh, so I want to use these and, and I, I want to especially uh, look at maybe verse 23 and verse 25. That's going to sort of be my focus here for the next few hours. And so if you'll just stay with me, we'll see what the Lord will do. The Lord has just especially dealt with me about this for uh, a couple of weeks. And so I just want maybe if, if the Lord will help that we can just instill some seed here in your life. Now... To the generation of people that God is speaking to in this particular passage, God was unseen. He was certainly heard from, but God was unseen. They heard his word and uh, they saw demonstrations and I'll talk about them in a moment, even manifestations of his spirit, but they had not seen God. So 40 years later, when Moses reviewed this law, he is speaking to a new generation and he is reminding them that their forefathers had met with God and that they had actually been in the presence of literal manifestations of God. They watched his glory and they never questioned his power because God was manifest. One such experience among several perhaps that could be mentioned was the experience on Sinai in Deuteronomy 14 and the, the Bible says in verse number 4 and verse 15, the scripture says that, that the children of God that Moses is addressing has heard his words, but they saw no similitude, or that word means form. They saw no form of any, of any kind. They heard his words, they felt his presence, but there was nothing by way of formation for them to associate that to. I'm going somewhere. If you'll just stay with me for a moment. Amen. God did not reveal himself in any form. There was a specific reason for that. And that reason was that it was the proclivity of the Jews to turn a living God into dead idols. And so if they had any form that they could have gone by, well, it would have just been in them. Their natural bent would have been to form something and shape something, and they would say, this is God. Amen. And he didn't want to be an idol. He, didn't, he refused to be an idol. In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 18, God asked a very serious question. He said, to whom then will you liken unto God? Or what likeness will you compare him what would that? What would you draw this as? You know, it is just the nature of man. I think I'll find maybe most of us here when I say that. It's the nature of most all of us when we hear of someone uh, prior to meeting them or if you have, perhaps we've all had these situations where you talk to somebody on the phone, maybe it's someone you're going to get together with about a business deal or something later down the road. It's just in man to start envisioning what you think they're going to look like. And, uh, you know, you just it, that's just there. We just kind of think. And sometimes they meet our expectations and sometimes they don't. Sometimes we were close and sometimes we were just worlds away. 
If you're speaking to someone with a very, uh, you know, uh, if you're speaking to a lady with a very uh, feminine voice, you know, you kind of maybe have that pictured. If you're speaking with a man with a deep baritone voice, you may, you may have that picture. But how many times have we been wrong about that? Might just be a little old bitty frail man with a deep voice. We had him six foot three, 280 pounds. Amen. I'll just leave those illustrations right there. How about that? Amen. And so, but, but the Lord said, so who will you liken him to? What, what, would, what form, what likeness would you compare him to? And so, in short, God's people were called to be a people of his word. And that's what we're called to be until this very moment. People of his word. I want you to know I'm thankful for the manifestations of the presence of God we have felt in this service or any service in our past, and I would say any service in our future, but God has really called us to be a people of his word, to just hold on to his word. And so the success of the nation uh, of these people would depend on three key elements, and that would be hearing the word of God, believing the word of God, and obeying the word of God. However, the nations around Israel, they built their religions on what they could see. Their idols were made by the hands of man. And, but Israel, he said, not, not us. We're not going to do that. Amen. Israel was called on to worship an invisible God. In addition to that, the, the Bible is very specifically clear that they were to have nothing to do with idols. Don't have anything to do with any form of a God. One Christian philosopher said false gods are always gods that you can see and they are gods that you can touch. And that very quality demonstrates the non-exist, their non-existence as gods. Because if you can see a God and touch a God, amen, this man is saying that's living proof that they're not God at all. Amen. So God warned Israel not to manufacture any idols. And he he also taught them to not build elaborate altars. If I had kept reading just one more verse from where we were today, he also mentioned that you're not to make altars that were so highly elevated that it would reveal your nakedness. And so it, the, the implication was there was not so much about the nakedness is the fact that, that many idol makers built their altars tall. Amen. They were even referred to as high places. And so he said, you, you don't need to do all that. You don't need to do anything of that nature that you're going to be so high up there because that's not how I'm going to manifest myself. He did not want there to be any association between a real altar for a real God and a, and a false altar for a false god just a simple altar of earth he said that's what we'll do just a simple altar of earth or he said in some cases if you want to build an altar out of stone he said I want you to make sure that it is unhewn stone it's not chiseled stone it's not designed stone it's not made to fit together like a puzzle one to the other he meant an altar of earth or an unhewn stone altar will do just fine. After all, this was supposed to be a place where man could meet with God and God could meet with man. So in essence, God was saying, what you really need to do is keep the main thing the main thing. The great risk associated with stones being chiseled, the great risk that is associated with building some beautiful or elaborate altar is this, that the people were gonna make 
that altar their God and not the God of the altar their God. Amen. They would, they would, that altar would become like an idol. That altar would be a place where people would worship that latitude and that longitude. And so God knew how easy it would be for the work of man to become more important than the worship of God. Amen. The natural stone provided by the Lord, He said, just like I gave it to you. Ever how round it is or ever how oblong it is or whatever, how rough shaped it is, you do that. Don't you put your hand on it and don't put the chisel on it because if you do, there's a risk that you'll make that God instead of me being God. Amen. And simply, essentially, this was what was supposed to happen. Amen. They were supposed to be in relationship with the God of the altar and not the altar of the God. Amen. There's my title, the God of the altar. We need to be in relationship with the God of the altar and not not with the altar of the God. Now, I am indeed thankful today. I'm indeed thankful for this wonderful place of worship that God has provided this congregation. I'm thankful for a beautiful house of God. I'm thankful that we, we have a building that we can call our own. And in fact, by the grace of God, it is our own. Amen. And because of that, we want to protect it. We want to preserve it. And we most certainly want to honor it. But I've got to realize something at the very core of my being this morning and that is this that God forbid but if some natural disaster were to come along and take this building away from us if a storm come or fire or some something that we could not even imagine and just pummeled the very building that we're standing in today all the way to dust can I tell you that even when this building was gone the church would still be okay amen it may not be ideal in our way of thinking. It would take away a favorite place that we sit or park. It would take away a favorite place. We've got a lot of memories associated here, but I'm going to tell you, amen, it would not be ideal. It would it would change our prism through which we look. We may have to adjust a few things here and there, but I'm going to tell you that we as a body would be okay because we are not serving the altar of the God. We're serving the God of the altar. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. Can we? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We're just serving the God of this building. And we're not serving this building. Amen. So we got to keep our focus on the main thing. And our focus and that main thing is the Lord. I think we're aware of that. We're also aware that several of our churches, and we've talked about this a lot since it happened, in the panhandle area of our state a few, about 18 months ago or so, some of them were completely destroyed. Several of, of those churches have had to be completely torn down. They're, they're no longer even in existence. And it has altered a lot of things for those congregations. And even those that still have structures that are standing, many of them, their structures are, uh, their, their structures are a long way from being complete and a long way from being what it has been. Others are, are they're, they're, many of them are in massive, and I mean massive remodeling projects that just seem to have no end. But here's the beauty of it all. In the midst of all those unanswered questions and in the midst of those uncertain futures by man's standards, 
reports are still coming in from those devastated areas of God doing such wonderful things in their midst because you see we're not serving the altar of the God we're serving the God of the altar amen and so the Lord said don't you hew that stone don't don't it's it just earth and just a few rocks in a place because the most important thing will be the fact that I meet you there amen I'm thankful for our beautiful buildings I'm thankful for what God has given I don't want to be misunderstood today but I'm going to tell you the most valuable thing that happened today was not what the, this building is worth or this property is worth or not, not what our total assets are worth or not the fact that we're debt free the most valuable thing that happened this morning is when we lifted our hands and focused prayer amen the God of the altar showed up amen when we lifted our voices in praise and worship the God of the altar showed up hallelujah while brother Williams was teaching this morning the most valuable thing wasn't the microphone in his hand the suit he was wearing, the shoes he was standing in, the most valuable thing that happened is that God, even with unhewn stones, even with just a pile of earth, God met with man here. Amen. Amen. We're serving the God of the altar. Several years ago in the southern portion of our state, and again, something I've referred to many times, he's a personal friend. This pastor is a personal friend. One of our churches lost their building to what's known commonly as the right of eminent domain. Their church property was adjacent to a public school and the right of eminent domain gave the, the county or the state, the, the county in this case I suppose, um, it gave them the right to, to take that property. Now I want to, in the interest of, of full disclosure, I will tell you that they were given fair market value. I don't want to make it sound as though somebody just strong-armed them and, you know, just one day they came and locks were on the door. That's not how that played out. <clears throat> but uh, they were given fair market value. And so um, they purchased new property in, in an effort. They were had really outgrown the building. It all just seemed like the timing of this was a wonderful thing. They had outgrown their building and, and we're wanting to launch into a new building, a new phase of a building program. And, and about the same time they purchased their new property to build a new facility was the exact same time that a crippling recession hit our nation. Jobs were lost. Families in unbelievable numbers had to move. And the complexion of everything for them changed almost Overnight. In the course of this extremely difficult time that lasted several years, they lost their new property and their dreams of a new facility. And they were forced to start having church in a high school auditorium. And for several years now, this is where they have been meeting. And they've set up their equipment before service. And they tear down their equipment after service. And for a while, their church was in a decline. But they stayed the course. They kept preaching and teaching and believing God for their future. And even in the midst of these trying circumstances, they have watched their church turn and begin to grow. Why? Because they were not serving the, the they were not serving the altar of the God. They were serving the God of the altar. 
Amen. And so God just says, be patient. I'm going to turn this thing all around. And, I, and I'm going to tell you, I believe with all of my heart, amen, that we at the last chapter of that church's history has not been written. And when this is all said and done, amen, I believe there's going to be an incredible testimony there. A couple of years ago, Daniel Kyle, who is a pastor of that church, was asked to speak at our district conference. And, and he was talking, he was given the subject. We had asked him if he would to, to preach to preachers and pastors about pastoring in difficult times and through troubled waters because he was a man who really knew what he was talking about. He was well qualified, sadly for him, well qualified to talk about that. And I will never forget many things that he said, but his closing comments were this. He said, through all of this process, God has taught us how to build a church when we thought we were just going to build a building. He taught us how to build a church. What he was saying is he taught us that, that it's not the only altar. Amen. It is the God of the altar. It is not in our hewn stone and it is not in the things that we can acquire and accumulate of our own hands. Amen. That is not to say that we don't need buildings. That is not to say, amen, that we don't need to have a future. I'm not suggesting that at all. Those are huge blessings for every local congregation but I'm going to tell you, God does not want us to be more in love with the idea of church, amen, than he does being in love with actually being the church. Can I say that again? God doesn't want us to just be in love with the idea of some crystal cathedral somewhere and we forget how to be the church. God wants us to be the church and if we can meet here and accomplish that, that will be all right. But what we really need is not an altar to God. We need a God unto the altar. We need to know that when we come into this house on Wednesday night, it may be cold outside, dreary outside. Amen. The crowd may be slim but what we need to know is that the God of the altar is going to walk in this building walk up and down every aisle and meet us when we gather we need to have the God of the altar amen amen today should not be about some edifice that we have built unto his honor because this building while it's a sacred place and I'm going to tell you that all, many of us if not all of us have some measure of memories here but can I tell you it's just brick and mortar it is what the Bible calls wood, hay and stubble it won't stand the test of time all we'd have to do is just leave it alone for a while that's all we would have to do abandon it for a while and you realize that it was of its own volition would just fall apart. It's just wood, hay, and stubble. It's all going to be gone one of these days. And not to sound crass, but even if this building is not actually gone, it's going to be gone for us. God forbid, but something could happen to prevent us from ever walking back through the doors of this building again. Is this all right? God could, it could be that, that you couldn't walk back through these doors again. Whether that's temporary or permanent, it could happen by the setting of the sun today. At that point, I really better hope I've got a relationship with the God of the altar. 
And I'm not just in love with the physical address. I'm not just in love with the little brick and mortar. I'm not just in love with the little pet project that I did at the church. And that's, you know, I thank God for everybody whose hands have been to the plow, amen, to help bring us to where we are. But that doesn't need to be why we're in love with this place. We need to be in love with this place because this has become the altar of the Lord. Amen. I'm going to, I'm going to just, maybe just Brother Brian, if you will, musicians come. And... Um, I, I don't want much moving around because I want you to hear. I want you to hear me now. Because if we are in relationship with the wrong thing, we will soon find ourselves disillusioned with the whole process. Amen. I'm gonna slip out here on some thin ice, but I know what what I'm doing. We can find ourselves disillusioned with the process if you fall in love with the wrong thing. Now, I think there's a very graphic picture in Scripture conveyed. I'm on a tiptoe out here. I know we're in mixed company. And I don't want to be uncouth, but I, 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 just, I just can't get away from this. I believe what's in the Bible is in there for a reason. And there is a strange, I'm going to say for me, there's a strange, kind of an odd story. I've read it many, many times, certainly read it for several years in just reading through the Bible. And it's always given me pause. And I feel like the Lord just laid something on my heart this year reading this. You see, God had, uh, God had given the commandment of circumcision because it was a covenant between God and man. And so in Genesis 17, it talks about this being an everlasting covenant. So when we, when we get to um, Exodus chapter 4, and that's where I'm going, it'll be on the screen here and. uh there seems to be perhaps uh, you know, there, it's a there's a lot of opinions about this passage of scripture, so I'm not here to cross swords with anybody. But but there seemed to have been, for whatever reason, some hesitation on the part of Moses to circumcise one of his children, one of his boys. Now, I don't want anybody, to, especially you ladies, to fall out with me here, but maybe, maybe that hesitation was due to the mother rather than the father. And I, I think I'm safe in saying that because, I mean, Moses got it. He understood. So I, I don't think Moses would just all of a sudden be doing this and then just bucking the system at some point. But I, I really believe, and, and you don't have to believe this, but I really believe that, that perhaps this hesitation of circumcision was on the part of the mother. And, and the scripture's pretty plain that God was fixing to step in and take care of this. And death was going to be in, involved. This, this has gotten serious. And so in Exodus chapter 4, verse 24, Exodus 4 and 24, the Bible says, And it came to pass 
by the way, in the end that the Lord met him, Moses, and sought to kill him. And then we read about one of Moses' wives, Zipporah. And the Bible says, Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut the foreskin of her son, and now watch this, and cast it at his feet. She cast that at the feet of Moses. And said, surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So let him go then, she said, a bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. So Zipporah says, well, okay. Before I let my son die in this situation, it seems kind of crude and, 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 and not, not the stone. That would be how it would be done anyway. But it just seemed like a knee-jerk reaction to the command of God. And Zipporah says, I'll take care of this. Then if this is how it's got to be, if this is how we're going to have to do this, then, then here, and she thrust that flesh at the feet of Moses and said, you're a bloody husband to me. Amen. Uh, while I said this has been open for a lot of debate, I just really feel that somewhere it was in the heart of Zipporah to not be in complete covenant with God. Amen. Just bear with my conjecture here, if you will. She steps in and she does this and she points her finger at him, no doubt, and says, A bloody husband thou art unto me. Amen. I, based on that, have been left to wonder if she had a greater relationship with Moses than she did the God of Moses. Because when they first made eyes and first started holding hands, Moses swept her off her feet. Man, I like this man, Moses. He's in, he and God, man, they're just like this. And then time went on. She's more in love with Moses than she is the God of Moses. Now she has a son, and this son, because he's the son of Moses, falls under this weird and somewhat odd and unthinkable covenant. We have to do what? Well, I'm not going to do that. It won't be happening in this house. It won't be my boy. And God says, well, I'll just take him out of your house then. So she says, well, if that's the case, and she thrust all of her anger at Moses and she calls him a bloody husband. And I'm going to tell you today that in absence, in the absence of a real relationship with God for yourself, things that ask or that are asked of us by God can seem somewhat at times out of bounds. Amen. So we're going to tithe 10% of our... In say, say that again now. 
In addition to that, we're going to give an offering to support. Say that again now. Because we're just trying to be in relationship with the church and not with the God of the church. And we're going to come how many times a week? And we have to be what time? And people's going to give us a stank eye if we're late. What now? Because we got a relationship. We're just trying to have a relationship with the building and with the body. We're just trying to be in a club. And we're not, I believe God's saying something to us now. Amen. And, 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 and we don't see where all this is necessary. I've heard that a lot through the years. I don't see where all this is necessary. I don't think we got to do this. I don't think we all have to do that. I don't think we have to lean this way, lean that way, walk this way, talk this way. It is because people come in and they get enamored with some program or some portion of the service or they get enamored with a relationship with somebody else or they get enamored with a friendship with somebody else and a group of people and they think, man, this feels good. This is just wonderful. I, oh, I love the singing and I love the worship and I, and I love the preaching and I love the programs. We love all the things and then all of a sudden God starts asking something of them. God starts demanding something of them and they say, wait a minute, that's out of bounds. Wait a minute, that's far, that's too far, that's further than I can go. I don't wanna go there. It's because people have built a relationship with the altar and not the God of the altar and when God starts saying, I need you to do more, I need you to stretch yourself further, I need you to do it and it needs to come from your heart. I'm gonna tell you, our ushers walked around this audience a moment ago and we received our tithes and our offerings and I hope that we were not like Zipporah and threw it in the bag and said there you go God if this is what you're asking of me if this is what you're requiring of me amen I hope this morning I hope when you were getting dressed for church we didn't have the spirit of Zipporah and said well if this is what you want then I'll go to church with you today I'll be there with you today amen but you're a bloody husband or you're a bloody wife or you're a bloody mother or you're a bloody father I hope somewhere we cannot make an idol out of all that we do and just say what we need to do is fall in love with the God of the altar and let him be God just let him be God hallelujah oh this past Wednesday night our evangelist brother T.J. Jackson pressed us to go further and I felt a spirit of release it was a call to do more it was a call to come closer it was a call to lengthen the cords and stretch ourselves I hope we didn't display the spirit of Zipporah and say well if that's what you want if that's what you want if that's what I gotta do if that's what I must do, and we cast bloody flesh at the feet of the, oh God, help us. We point our finger and we say, I'll do it. But I believe, Brother William, she missed the whole point. This was not about surgery. This was not about, no, 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 no. This is something that happened between God and man. 
You missed it, Zipporah. You missed it. You missed it. Amen. I'll tell you what. I don't want to just try to love God through somebody else. I'm going to take that further. I don't want to try to love God through something else like the church. I don't want to just be in love with, you know, the idea of church. Years ago, Brother J.H. Osborne stood in this very pulpit and he preached a message about the woman, the, the Samaritan woman at the well who the Bible says had been married five times and the man she was with was not her own. And he preached a message entitled In Love with the Idea but Not Married to the Message. She liked the idea of family, the idea of a husband, the idea of a home. But she wasn't married to the message. And there's a lot of people that like the idea of church. Oh, I like having somewhere to take my kids on Sunday. And I, like the, I want them to learn a little bit about Jesus. I want them to have a Sunday school teacher. But they're not married to the message. That when the burden gets heavy, you can't set this thing down and think you're going to come pick it up later. I'm not trying to preach past the moment. I'm going to ask you to stand today. Amen. I've got to fall in love with God myself. And I've got to fall in love with the... Amen. This church means a lot to me. I'm going to be honest with you. This building means a lot to me. i got the Holy Ghost in this building. A lot of people got the Holy Ghost in this building that's here today. If you didn't receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost in this building... God has certainly given you some powerful encouragement and instructions and myriad of things. There's a number of things. You could probably go to a certain spot in this building and say it was right here where God, I can certainly do that. Many places in this building to say I was standing right here when the Lord laid such and such on my heart. So yes, there would be a sense of loss if I drove up tomorrow and this was just a peanut patch. Yeah, there'd be a, a sense of loss, but hey, that wouldn't have nothing to do with my relationship with God. <laughs> we're not going to gold plate this thing and, and make a memorial out of it because he said don't you even hew the stones because it is, in the, it is in the bent of man to make that God and not me God my Lord I feel the Holy Ghost in this house today amen I want to have a relationship with the God of the altar amen if that's what you want today we need to be serious about this absolutely serious. Well, I thought I was serious. Well, you need to ask yourself if you're really serious. Amen. Because God may just raise the bar tomorrow to here. What are we going to do then? Amen. Next week, God may raise the bar to there. What are we going to do then? Are we going to say, well, like Zipporah, no, 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 no. No, we're not going there. Well, finally, I'll do it, but it'll, it'll be against my will. Amen. God don't want our begrudged worship. <laughs> God doesn't want our begrudged prayers. He doesn't want our begrudged offerings of any sort, time, talent, effort, or energy. Oh, help us today in Jesus' name. Which that's, I just feel like we need to make an altar before we leave here. Amen. I believe that we are together around the front. Maybe, amen, let's just have family prayer. I just don't think we ought to just walk out of this building like this. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. 
For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.